to the next installment of the Yummy Coco Show. This is a pop culture variety show for your ear holes with sketches, music, interviews, and games. I'm your host, Yummy Coco, aka Colette Prosper. I'm a comedy writer and filmmaker. On this show, we talk about everything from Nia DaCosta becoming uh, the first black female a filmmaker to open at number one in the box office with Candyman, really exciting, uh, to Clickbait being the number one show on Netflix this week. Uh, it's really super stressful. We just started watching. Um, uh, but first up, some housekeeping. If you like this show, please rate and review on Apple. It's how you can help people find the show. So this week I'm chatting with First Wives Club and Dollface writer Josephine Green Shang. Uh, she's also one of the hosts of Third and Fairfax, one of my favorite podcasts that's run by the Writers Guild of America. But first, it's back to school. And I wanted to chat with my cousin, Chris Lane. She is a historian, an educator. She's out here teaching in these streets amid wild COVID variants and rampant misinformation and uh, just people uh, just having a lot of um, a lot of feelings about history. So I wanted to talk to Chris Lane. Hey, Chris Lane. Hi, how are hey, you? Hey, good. So uh, Chris Lane was part of our Haiti chat um, back in the in the early stages of the Yummy Coco show. Um, we were talking about language and, and favorite Creole phrases and, and uh, um, among other things. Um, but one of the things I thought was really interesting was when uh, she was talking about Prince Saunders, uh, which was really cool. Someone from He's from American history, but he uh, was one of the many Americans that had moved to Haiti um, way back in the day. So we were talking about that. We'll we'll get to that in a minute. But like, um, you know, after the back to school, it's a crazy time. Um, I want to know how you're feeling right now. Um, you know, schools schools school's been back for me for uh, for uh, kids in my in the LA area, but for you. Um, up in Santa Cruz, which is like uh, like Northern California, um, that that you're you're not opening just yet, like after Labor Day. But like, how are you feeling in the run up to to school? So, because I teach at a private school, um, and we actually uh, taught all last year mostly in person in these mm-hmm. like disaster tents. Yeah. Um, so I feel less nervous than my public school friends who are literally going into the, who are in the classroom for the first time, you know, since last year. Yeah. Um, They're sort of having to deal with all the protocols for um, COVID like right now, whereas we had to deal with it um, back in, you know, last, last September. Yeah. Um, I am, you know, 
concerned because I teach sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, and my sixth graders are not old enough to be vaccinated. Yeah. So I will have a population of students in front of me that um, just, you know, they're just not going to be vaccinated. And yeah. I'm vaccinated. Most of the staff, I would say 90% of our staff, maybe even more than that, are vaccinated. That's good. Um, a good portion of the middle and high school. So I would say like, I want to say like 80% of the middle school is vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Um, Santa Cruz is a very interesting, this is the area that I'm I'm teaching in. And the yeah, population. very hippie. Yeah, so you definitely have, okay, I'll just say this. So I drive all, I drive all summer long on the 101 heading south. And if you go through uh, like the South Bay area, mm-hmm. um, every Friday there's a protest on the 101 that is focused on Gavin Newsom. And, oh my God, the and recall. Getting recall. And no. before the recall, they were the, you know, Trump was you know, whatever. Yeah. Oh God. At the same time on the, you know, on, on highway 17, which is the freeway that goes through Santa Cruz. So if you flip, if you just go over the the mountain, um, the Friday protest on the overpass is the anti-vaccination crew. Like they are the ones who are basically saying, you know, their signs say things like, you know, you're an experiment. (laughs) So are these, are these groups connected? Like the one on one on one, the one on, on, uh, highway 17 that they're, but they're in like a Venn diagram. There is overlap. Maybe, maybe they're like, Hey, I saw you at the protest on one on (laughs) one protesting for Trump, but they would not. So like, they're, they're not politically aligned. Like these are not people who are Trumpers in Santa Cruz. These are people who are leftists who are protesting the whole vaccination thing. That's okay. That's the dynamic on the, those freeways that I. Oh. It's it's what it's a journey. Crazy. What oh, a journey. <laughs> oh my god. So I feel um, a little apprehensive. Um, I'm just going to do my best. You know, it is my goal to not get sick and to not get my family sick Yeah, and to not get others sick. And, uh, and I'm pretty like, same. Yeah. Kind of tired of all the excuses. Um, and you know, I, I say this knowing that, you know, I have loved ones who, who aren't going to get vaccinated, yeah, but I need to. I just feel like, um, as an educator, you gotta be kidding me. Um, after a year, like what we just had, um, I just wish it was a very much top down. You just have to be vaccinated to go to this school and teach at this school and work at this school. And if you don't fine, but you're making choices to either pay out of pocket, you know, it's gotta be hard. Because right. I honestly, I just don't have any sympathy for those teachers who are um, teachers or I don't know, who are just making choices for themselves at the expense of others. I just, I, I, I don't, and I want to, I want to be 
traveling. I want to be doing stuff as a teacher. I want to do field trips. I want to, yeah. You know, I, so I'm, I'm definitely not <laughs> like, you know, do what you want. I'm going to protect myself. <laughs> like, I, yeah, this is a democracy. Uh, yeah. Oh my no, it's, it's a, it's a community. I, I totally agree. I, I find it really upsetting, which is why I wanted to talk to you. Um, like, you know, some recent things that have happened. Uh, there was an unvaccinated teacher in Marin County um, teaching elementary and in Marin County, which is not too far from Santa Cruz or San Francisco, affluent area, um, she took off her mask for a read aloud, and within days, half her class was positive for Delta. Then in Austin, Texas, so another another state, uh, an angry parent ripped a mask off a teacher's face. Um, around the country, you know, parents um, for and against masks are filing lawsuits against um, their children's school districts. Um, all this to say it's a very intense time. Uh, and just before flu season, um, you just laid out what the climate is like, you know, where you're traveling on the 101 and there are these um, I guess, uh, you know, people who are for the recall, which is very dangerous and horrible if we are to get this like rando Republican who is, um, he has no platform. He's just gonna be doing whatever, whoever's funding his campaign will just be like, okay, so you're gonna check this, this off and do this and do that and that. Um, it's very scary. Please vote no. It's like if you are against Gavin Newsom, he's going to be he's going to be up for election very soon. Right. Why are we spending millions of dollars? Let democracy sort of play itself out. I'm so against recall. Yes. Politics is just ridiculous. Right. Um, he's got a term. It's going to end. Vote him out then. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you're if you're unhappy with the way he did his his job or whatever. Um I, you know, and I think, you know, those cases where um, teachers are taking off their masks, because I was just talking to somebody today, it's like, it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of, it's very warm on the mountain where I teach right yeah. now, like it's, it's like 90 degrees up there. And I have to wear a mask all day. Yeah, all day, every day. I have to talk with the mask on. I literally have swamp face. That's what I call it. It's just, oh. swamp face. <laughs> it's just moisture all around my mouth. Yes. And, and it, it is, it's, it's uncomfortable and I, I get it, but I do it. Why? Because that's what I have to do to make sure that I'm safe and I'm making others safe. Like swamp face. <laughs> swamp face. <laughs> yes. Do you have to like, do you have to change masks? Like, I, you know, I, I will actually be wearing two masks when I'm so right now my, we're in meetings all week. I will be wearing two masks. I, it, I have to change masks every day. I have to, you know, I actually bought like, there's this um, company in San Francisco that make these beautiful um, African print dress dresses and they make these beautiful African print. Here's, here's my plug for Zuri. Oh, nice. <laughs> I just like buy the mask that I love and I wear it because that's what I'm doing. You know, if yeah. I'm going to be wearing a mask, it's going to look good. All right. Yeah. So you got, you got a style, you got a profile. Yeah. Just do what makes you comfortable and happy. Right. Yes. I'm going to get swamp face when it's warm 
it's not going to be warm forever, you know. Yeah, but you'll be styling as as you're, you're swamping and kids face. can hear me and I can breathe. Believe me, as I'm somebody who like, I'm a, you know, I it is very people, I don't like, I can't run a, a marathon with a mask on, certainly no, but I can, I can teach, I can talk, I can do whatever I need to do with a mask on. Yeah. People. Oh, the kitties, the cats. Tearing up my, <laughs> my plants. Oh no, Milo <laughs> kitty. Anyways. So, okay. I also want to ask you about history because you, you teach college and then you also teach um, middle school, high school. Um, there's a, a lot of talk about history, black history, a lot of strong feelings about cancel culture. I'm uh, one of our Friday watch uh, must watch is usually Bill Maher, like real time. Uh, it's gotten to a point where like I can't watch it like the past um, few years, we still watch it um, just because I feel like he, he will have on uh, interesting people um, at the time, at times people that wouldn't necessarily be on like say MSNBC. Um, But he's so upsetting when it comes to like cancel culture. And, and then he talks about, he'll talk about like reparations, but like with another white man who is wealthy, who is around his age. And then the other white man will say, shouldn't we not be talking about this? And and he'll say, why, why I should be able to talk about this if I want to. Anyway, my, my point is having you on, you know, just thinking about like people like Nicole Hannah Jones and the 1619 project, she has two books coming out in November, um, which includes one for children. There's no natural national curriculum for Black history. Many people in America have learned about, say, like the Tulsa uh, race riot from just watching Watchmen. And that's if they've watched Watchmen. Um, there's a great documentary also on HBO called Exterminate All Brutes. Oh, um, so good. It was amazing. That, I just need to plug that. Yeah. All, all four parts. Yeah. Right? It, it's incredible. It's a, it's a mini series revolving around colonization and genocide. It's directed and narrated by um, Haitian, uh, proud Haitian Raul Peck. Uh, but, but that's also something, and he even said that in an interview that like, you know, yes, um, he's, he was giving carte blanche at, at HBO to create this documentary, which really like goes deep and like really analyzes and dissects white supremacy. Uh, but I watched it, but I'm sure a lot of other people have not seen it. You've seen it. You're I a historian. Have. Beautiful. It's yeah. Beautifully done. And, and it's, it's one of those uh, documentaries that everyone should see. I think uh, it, it, it does a really good job of either dramatizing things, but also connecting it to his personal uh, journey, understanding this sort of uh, history of colonialization and colonization and stuff. It's, it's, yeah, it's breathtaking. I, yeah. yeah. (laughs) And Josh Hartnett's in it. If uh, you're into like, you know, nineties, like 90, whatever nineties movies he was in, I can't even think of. He does play the you know, the, the, the every the man, guy. yeah, the evil, every wet, white man. Yes. <laughs> but so good. Uh, 
but, but like with, with all that in mind and like you're, you're teaching in an area that is, um, you know, predominantly white, uh, and then you're, you're, you're driving to this school crossing all of these like variety of protesters, because even like the well-meaning liberal might not, um, you know, the way that they might feel about black history or, or black, black lives matter, you know, might not be, um, altogether, um, altogether inclusive, I guess. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's not, it's not so cut and dry. So like, I, I don't know. I just like, I'm curious, you know, we're all going back to school. We're, we're in school We're we're around young people. Um, what, what is sort of like your mission as a historian? What's your, your wish for our national curriculum? Um, in and 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 what sort of things should we be teaching 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 us like what 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 sort of things should we be learning so it, it's really so really like if in like two minutes okay <laughs> how can you answer oh my God. that I have so much so much to say and um, go I so you know I went to UCSC uh where they actually have and I believe this is true the first graduate program in uh critical race theory mm -hmm. uh so um like like they had the first graduate program in feminist studies mm -hmm. and so i i actually went to a school where um like i i was taught in critical race theory the theory that is in the media right now is being this like horrible um um uh, idea of like, you know, making us feel bad about the United States because it just brings up um, all this history that's all negative and this very simplistic, um, very like misguided sort of um, take on what critical race theory is. Um, and what's interesting is this, this critique of critical race theory is very like, if you look at the statistics for history teachers in the secondary schools, mm -hmm. I think it, the numbers, and I, I'm going to just throw this off the top of my, it's very low, but like most history teachers did not major, history teachers did not major in history, like literally. Yeah. That wasn't wow. their major, but they're teaching in this field of study. Um, so they, they were probably like an English major or something. Exactly. And then exactly. They, they ended up getting into history. Exactly. I think it's like um, so it's it's kind of low. And then and then those of those of those teachers who did study history, um, very few have any sort of training in critical race theory. Like they didn't read, you know, books that actually um, and I'm I'm gonna draw a blank of um, the person who you know, kind of like is the seminal, um, her name is not at the top of my head right now. Angela Davis? No. Oh, so anyways, Angela Davis is definitely um, a part of that conversation of bringing critical race theory at UC Santa Cruz, because she is the founder of history of consciousness at UC Santa Cruz, which is another um, field of study that looks at um, history very critically. Yeah. Um, also, it's part of the graduate program. So not all undergrads are going to have the opportunity to take courses that are going that in depth in sort of how are we writing um, histories about different peoples, different 
cultures, different effects of colonialism, da, 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 whatever. Um, and so there's this sort of, um, you know, this attack on, you know, uh, history teachers are teaching our kids to be, you know, unpatriotic and hate America and all this. And feel bad about ourselves. They, and they just I, and want, I, these like white parents are like, they just want us to feel bad about ourselves. And like Megan Kelly's like, oh, she's telling Bill Maher, like, oh, I, I had to take my kids out of the school because it's just, it's not fair. It's not right. And I just want to say to those people, and I'm I'm going to like, I think I heard this um, uh, from a, another person, but like, but it's true, this idea that like, I'm supposed to, that's, I didn't study history to make people feel better. I'm not a psychologist. I'm like, yes. I'm like, I'm not dealing with your, you know, your, your feelings. I'm dealing with evidence. I'm dealing with, you know, the Tulsa race riots actually happened and we have evidence of that and we have survivors who tell their stories about that incident and so um and and i and i even tell my students like the story of the united states is an amazing fucking story okay can yeah. i can i okay yes. Yes. <laughs> it's an amazing fucking story okay yeah. the Ameri the the, uh, the the constitution all the things that sort of come out of the um, age of revolution. Um, it's, it's, it's quite a compelling story for, um, seeing the promise of the things that we should be, uh, living our lives to make life better for other people. I just, you know, it's like when you, I tell this to my students. And so I'm, I'm telling middle schoolers, I'm telling high schoolers, I'm telling college students. Um, yeah, this is a great story, but all great stories have horrible things, in, yes. things and good things. I mean, like we can't just tell this, like um, the story of America as being like without these pieces that actually like make this, this, you know, this, a, this, a great, um, country or whatever. And I'm not, I'm not one to say, you know, that's the end all be all. This is not why we do history to make sure that we understand that, you know, this is a great country. And I, and that's, that's my, that's my major beef with, um, this because critique. it, yeah, because it's obvious we live in a great country. You're able to freely speak your mind and, and there's some bad things that people and, are, are continuing yeah. to do and benefit from and all this other stuff. And right. that inspires others to, uh, to, to, to work towards, you know, making this a better and freer or, or you know, um, more just place. Um, so yeah, I, I have like, yeah. And so this is what I'm saying. So unfortunately for those parents who are like, if there are, I don't, I haven't met one yet, but mm -hmm. you never know. It, it could happen this year. Mm -hmm. um, who's, who are like, oh, you're making my son or daughter feel bad about America um, because of, you know, your, you know, your, your, your using critical race theory. I'm like, yeah, unfortunately in my case, I am using critical race theory because that's what my training is in. And um, certainly it's an anomaly in, in, you know, in education. Uh, most teachers are not. They're just literally teaching history written by, you know, textbook writers. Um, it's pretty uh, straightforward. And 
I don't, I don't, I think people need to look at what, you know, what our standards are asking our, our, our teachers to teach and our students to learn and not just sort of hook on to this, like it's so far removed from the K-12 um, realm, this, mm -hmm. this idea, it's literally your kindergarten teacher is not teaching critical race theory. I promise you. <laughs> I am. I just happen to have a PhD in history from a school that has, you know, this sort of like um, background in teaching um, history very, um, you know, uniquely, but like most people do not come from that kind of situation. So um, it, it, yeah, it's sort of like a, like a, a mixed bag. So it's like unclench your buttocks. I know. Exactly. It's going to be okay. It really is. Um, yeah. And, you know, the 1619 project, I just, I was shocked at the, at, at the backlash that Nicole Hannah Jones received because the stuff that she put out in the New York, that was put out in the New York Times, like I, I'm like, this is, well, this is known, right? Yeah. We all know this happened, right? 1619, like, it's not, it's not like, like she's, she's uncovered, like, um, a, a treasure trove of like a history that no one knew about. She right. just happened to get it published in a major newspaper in a series that suddenly was available to, that made it available to a lot of people. Um, but if you're in a college class taking a history course, you're likely to hear about, you know, the first Africans that came to this country, you know, like, yeah, it's possible. Um, it shouldn't make you feel bad. It should make you think. It should make you wonder. It should make you connect. It should make you uh, um, really sort of grapple with this history in this in this great nation. Mm -hmm. And we need to stop with the superlatives about America, <laughs> you know. But it happens. It's funny. Um, this whole thing about COVID. I don't usually watch war movies, but I'm a big Christopher Nolan fan. <laughs> I haven't seen the the late that latest that war movie. Um, okay, Dunkirk. go on. So so uh, he yes, Dunkirk. Yeah. So I saw Tenet, and I saw. Oh. Uh, but my favorite of his movies is um, Interstellar. So don't get me started. Um, I but, also need to see that. I've, oh I just, my Inception, God. Inception, Memento. Okay. Oh my God! I have okay. to see it. I have okay. to see it. Just a big fan. So anyways, I just, I wanted to see this film and I, I want, and Harry Styles is in that. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I must see it. I know. <laughs> see it for um, Harry. <laughs> so anyways, so Dunkirk, you know, it's like, uh, this amazing story of these people who got into their boats to save 300,000 soldiers who were stranded on the beach being bombed by the Germans. Um, it was a total, um, you know, rescue mission, mm -hmm. but because of the Germans firepower and they're just, they're just slaughtering um, the troops that are stranded on the beach and yeah. people from France and Denmark just get into their own boats and they just, brave the seas with bombs happening and they save 300,000 people. And I, what I love about this movie is that, you know, <laughs> at the end, you know, Harry Styles is on the train. He's, he's going home and he's like, I, I just, I feel like a, 
you know, I feel like, you know, we're going to be seen as like cowards because we, we had to be evacuated and, and then they get to their town and it's just like a party. It's just, everyone's so happy to see them. And because they're and alive. They're alive. And so I, I watched this during the pandemic and I'm like, see, I just, this is, this is what I'm talking about. Yeah. I don't want to talk about like titles, like the greatest generation or da, 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 da. but I will say like sacrificing for others, you know, giving up your life for, for other people. That is the story of lots of people's history, but, you know, including the United States, right. Doing the right fucking thing is, is, is is the stuff sack up that, that I think, um, we are, like we are just like so far removed from at least a portion of the country that yes. wants to just, you know, focus on, you know, oh, those people talking about, you know, Native Americans and slaughters and African American, you know, slavery, like, okay, people like get a grip. I mean, like, yeah. seriously, like, think about those people who gave their lives up for other people. And I think that's the stuff that's going to make you realize um, that's the, that's the, that's the change makers. And and for me, that's my hope. I want my kids to be change makers. Mm-hmm. I want to tell them stories about change makers. I want to tell them about, um, I, I, I teach like um, uh, for my sixth grade English, my kids learn about um, the Holocaust. They learn about, mm-hmm. They learn about um, George Takai's um, graphic novel, which is excellent. He does a death. Oh, yeah. yeah, from Star Trek. Yeah, yeah he, does, he was, he talks he was about in the Japanese internment camps in and, California. In California, and by the way, if you ever see his TED talk or read his graphic novel, that is a completely patriotic story about yeah. America from a family that was like completely, they lost everything during mm-hmm. that time period. But George Kai is not a American hater or whatever no. today. He's like very patriotic. So that's to me, those are the stories I want to, I want to tell my students or I want my kids to learn. Um, I want my kids to be change makers. I, that's, yes. Yeah. Change makers and, and community builders. Yeah you're you're part of this world it's you're not you're not a a bubble you're not in a bubble and and quit with the rights yeah Quit with the rights thing okay yeah it's my freedoms and the whatevers think about your neighbor think about your your classmate whatever i just to me i just that's that's my whole message so and now here's a sketch called born in a mall Sketch. Oh, Bob, I'm so excited to take you to my homeland, the mall. Yeah, it's cool. You know, when I asked you to show me where you were born, I just thought it was going to be a trip to New Jersey. I didn't expect you to take me to a mall. Well, this is where I was born. I find that hard to believe. I was. Right there, right in between Macy's and Auntie Annie's. Whoa, you you were really born in a mall? No wonder you know your way around them so well. 
Yup, it's part of my DNA, like male pattern baldness or that weird thing where cilantro tastes like soap. Whoa, I never thought of it that way. Oh, I'm, I'm just so happy to do this with you now. Come on, there's someone I'd like you to meet at the sunglasses hut. It's my mom. Welcome home, dear. Oh, mom, how I've missed you. I wanted to bring my new boyfriend, Bob, to meet the family. Hello. Hello, very nice, dear. He doesn't seem like the others. Mm -mm. The others? I told her to look outside the mall for a new guy. Here, do you like sunglasses? Do you like Ray-Bans? Do you like Oakleys? No, thank you. What other boyfriend, Stella? I, I thought I was your first. First boyfriend outside of the mall. But I love how you love to shop with me. It's like you were really from the mall, too. I guess I... I mean, I like shopping centers. That's good. You'll fit in just fine. Fit in? What's she talking about, Stella? That's what your father said the first time I brought him here. What's going on? Look, Bob, I'm tired of L.A. I want to go back home, and I want you by my side. This is insane. I can't live at a mall in New Jersey. I did not agree to this. Yeah, you did. I said, I want to go home. And you said, sure, yeah, whatever, that's fine. To be honest, I wasn't really paying attention, and I just thought we were visiting your parents for a few hours. I don't want to live at a mall. The mall will be closing in five seconds. Listen, uh, I, I gotta get out of here. Sorry, Sunglasses Hut is closed right now. I made up your bed in the back by the Ray-Bans. Oh, thanks, Mom. Bob and I will make the journey to the Cheesecake Factory side of the mall tomorrow so you can meet the grandparents. No, wh why are you talking to her about us? You can't do this. I'm not staying here. He looks tired, dear. I'll bring you some Jamba Juice after I finish closing up. Oh, thanks, Mom. I just love coming home. Help, no. I hate the mall. Attention, the mall is officially closed. Anyone who stays here will have to live here forever. Awesome. Let's get into my talk with Josephine Greenshang. She is a comedy writer, filmmaker, podcaster, and performer. She's worked on shows including First Wives Club, currently on BET Plus, now in their second season, uh, on Dollface, uh, on Hulu. Uh, she's also one of the hosts of Third and Fairfax, one of my favorite podcasts. Uh, it's run by the Writers Guild of America, aka WGA, and it features interviews with screenwriters from the world's of movies, television, and new media. 
Um, Josephine, she's interviewed um, such luminaries as Alan Ball and uh, recently Alana Glazer. It was a really great interview. Um, so welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank Hi. you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, so excited. Um, so in addition to being a writer, director, performer, podcaster, um, you've also done stand-up. What do you find harder, like making people laugh on stage or on paper? I definitely, well, I feel like when I did stand-up, so I made a deal with I, I did stand up for a year and I'd been um, in a couple of different house teams and sketch at, in the Los Angeles side. And I think like audiences are more forgiving. Like they wanna be laughing, they wanna be have a good time. They're out, they're drinking. So yeah. like dumber jokes get laughs in person. But I do think, um, I think as a as an artist myself, it's definitely much harder in person than than writing in a page like on a page alone. Um, there's a lot of uh, my struggle is like memorizing. <laughs> I think I, I think like the like I'm still in that phase of um, like when I was a performer, just like really spending the time rehearsing. Uh, I mean, I do also perform, I'm, I'm open to performing now, but I think like that part of um, being off book yeah. is so much of a challenge um, that like it make it made me respect that I like how much, not to overwrite as much, I think, and be a little bit more kind and thoughtful uh, and compassionate to performers who who have to memorize your lines and like really be more efficient. So um you know they're they're different sides but um i'm definitely um have more practice in in writing um and than i do in performing in stand-up so um, but is there an element of, oh i'm sorry but is there like an <laughs> element of um of improv with with doing stand-up because like say and this is terrible but like you know you have those hecklers um, or, or you have someone in the front with, um, I'm just thinking like based off like movies, um, there's somebody in like the front of the audience with like, uh, a weird scarf or something and you want to riff on that. So is there that element too, or, or did you, um, stick strictly to what, what you wrote out ahead of time? Well, in, in standup, I, and in um, sketch as a performer, because I would write a lot of the sketches and then perform, be, be in them too. Um, uh -huh. There's definitely something I stick to, but you have to have wiggle room. And I think that's like with, with doing it more uh, and more over like years, then I think you kind of find a flow and like let it go a little bit. But I would say like, I probably didn't, as many hours I, I definitely didn't put in as many hours as I have in just writing so uh, I I feel like I didn't quite get to that point you know like I yeah. haven't I haven't yet gotten to that where you like feel comfortable totally trashing what you worked on before but um, that 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 also said like a lot of the great performers like they work out their material for so long and build it build it build it till it can be that hour long special. So that by the time, like you see that polished 
version, they've like gone to so many open mics that they've really built on it. Oh um, yeah, they've they've gotten their you know, ten thousand hours. Definitely, and and then I also find like when, you know, some things you've like over rehearsed in performing, like like when I was I was in the sketch team that was out on um, uh, the West Side Comedy Theater like a few uh -huh. like four or five years back, um, as around the time that I would do that. And when I was on that house team, sometimes, you know, you, if someone forgets, flubs a line, it's just on you in the moment to make, like make people laugh. And sometimes like the spontaneity is where you really find your, um, humor and, and yeah. make people laugh. I always think surprise is such an element of making people laugh and the big difference between between like television writing and like writing for something on stage is really in the moment. Mm -hmm. um, I've noticed like a lot of the times the other like at table reads or like you've you know the other writers you've read you've read those jokes multiple times. So like even they're just as funny to a new they would be just as funny to a new audience. But because you've heard them in your ear, you're just sort of you know, you the, the excitement and the yeah. surprise is gone. So you don't necessarily laugh. Um, but in person, it's always like something's alive and could fall, fail miserably. And that risk is like what makes it exciting and entertaining. Yeah, it just feels more organic, I guess. Like when you're, when yeah, you're yeah. in person. I, I think, I definitely think like when I when I was like in a funk of because I went to um, I went to UCLA uh, for mm -hmm. screenwriting and I I wrote primarily features when mm -hmm. I was in uh, screenwriting at the film school and um, I actually found in my in my last script when I was at UCLA I uh, wrote a comedy and uh -huh. that script got me into the universal feature writers program oh wow and between yeah between graduating that year it was like a couple of years really i um i workshopped that feature script mm -hmm. and that's when i started performing and i just felt like performing gave me a new energy that like brought comedy that felt more fresh into the features that i would do passes on yeah you know? so I always, yeah. 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 I'm sorry. Like, that's how I felt doing improv. I felt like uh, learning improv. I took, uh, I took classes at Groundlings and then I took classes at, at UCB. And it was at UCB where I, I started to realize um, how, how to make people laugh, not just like making fun of myself, um, but actually finding something and, and riffing on it. Um, so yeah, I can I can see what you mean that that um, it, it it it's empowering in a way like it, it gives you um, it gives you a sense of like that you can think up things off the on the fly, and that maybe they, these these wild ideas kind of work. Exactly. Yeah. There's an immediacy, and I, I find that like that immediacy in sketch writing too, because they're like four page scripts. You know, I. I between those years, a couple of years when I was finishing up UCLA and I got into the feature writing fellowship, I, um, I, I wrote sketches and I took the yeah. UCB. I didn't do the improv 
I'd done like some side workshops now and then for improv, but I took their uh, sketch writing classes at UCB and I just built a, um, I started with those packets, you know, I made a packet after taking some of the classes and I actually, oh, wow. at the time, that's how I, I instead of, I, I think like I had looked at UCB's house teams and thought uh -huh. about joining them. Then I lived, at the time I lived in Santa Monica and I worked, I had a day job in tech um, over on the Santa Monica side. And I so just- that's, that's the worst commute. It was the worst, I mean, horrible. I don't live in Santa Monica. <laughs> it's a horrible commute. So I was just like, where can I do comedy and not be in traffic for two hours a day? Yeah. And so I just went to the West Side Comedy Theater and saw that they had programs. And I, I, it was sort of like this little unknown, I mean, they, they have a lot of great, they're known for their standups right. um, that come through, but, but like their program, their improv and their sketch were like lesser known and less of a big name. And um, I found myself applying to that and getting in the practice by, by um, being in this smaller theater. And there's a lot of little theaters like that over in um, like off Santa Monica Boulevard, more on the east oh, yeah. side of Hollywood. There's like a lot of little programs you can meet your community at. Yeah, like, um, yeah, there's the Pack Theater uh, is one of them. Um, yeah, there, there are tons. Um, I think the Pack Theater was started by Trevor Moore, who just died recently. Um, so he was uh, he was in a, a show called The Whitest Kids You Know. I don't know if you remember it. But uh, but yeah, so yeah, there, there are tons. Um, so you're a seasoned interviewer. Um, you um, have a beautiful microphone setup. Um, you uh, you know you you do all of these like really great interviews for WGA. Um, what's it like? Um, you know, what's it like that like you've you've interviewed people like Katori Hall, people like that you'd probably want to work with Alana Glazer or like the creators of Pen Fifteen you've interviewed. Um, but so, what's it like to like? Um, be interviewed for writing jobs like what what's is there a difference or ha, has um interviewing these um these you know people that you would love to work with um somehow helped you like just as um as like improv and stand-up helped you with your writing does interviewing you know these uh you know uh, professionals does that help you at all like as a as a writer looking for writing gigs like screenwriting jobs. I, I, I would say, you know, the podcasting world and being a host of the WGA, WGA third in Fairfax, it's really helped me to become comfortable. I think um, speaking to a lot of professionals that I aspire to be in their shoes, definitely. Yeah. Um, and also, at the same time, taking generals, um, you know, I, I feel like I, I actually started, you know, I, I, I was repped and like did the universal program and like had been in um, the peripherals of the entertainment industry. I actually started out a long time ago in art department and, mm -hmm. and like, you know, in school did a bunch of internships and all that. And um, I know that's like taking a long time long ways around to getting to answer to your question. But um, 
when I finally was signed um, and and got reps after doing the Universal Features program, which uh -huh. was about a year later is when I met my agent. And um, I, so I had been used to taking generals, like, you know, like, before I started podcasting and hosting. Right. And for um, those, and for those and at home, a, a general is a, just a, a, a get to know you meeting where you're given maybe a water bottle um, and you sit and you, you give like an elevator pitch about yourself. Like you describe who you are, um, what your skills are. And it has to be like very fun, upbeat, right? Like it has to be like, I, I'm this, I'm not. And you have to like really um, sell yourself and you only have like a short window of time. Is that, is that like what yeah, you would I, up general as? I would, I would, and I would describe it also as like a professional first date. Oh, so wow. I think of general first dates, uh, you know, like with, with, you know, hoping that you can work together and form a relationship, almost like a friendship date. You know, you just really want to um, tell you, I always tell people, and I believe what I've discovered is like, you know, knowing my own story being uh -huh. able to um, say it concisely in a couple of minutes, like questions that often come up are what made you want to become a writer? Where are you from? What kind of themes that you bring um, and find in your writing? What do you like to write about? What do you care about? Uh -huh. um, what shows and movies you're watching right now? Um, who inspired you to write, you know, who are you role, your role models? Mm -hmm. Those tend to be questions that they just want to get to know you. Um, and I found that like knowing your, you know, knowing which production company or which television show, which, which, which like knowing also what they're making. And yeah. there's a little bit of, yes, know your story, but also be, be aware of who, you know, like in any interview, tailoring a little bit to to who you're talking to, knowing your audience. Right. And, so if you're, um, if you're talking to like Disney, for instance, you have to know all the Hulu shows, all of the FX shows, like you have to know everything that's in there, um, like under the umbrella of like, say, Disney or like, yeah, like the Walt Disney Company or something, for instance, or like NBC, you know, you have to know all the NBC shows and the Peacock shows uh, and you have to be able to talk about it. And I guess um, somehow uh, s describe like how you would fit into that milieu, I guess. I think it, it can be a little more specific than that, too. Uh -huh. I mean... There's just so many production companies and deals under Disney. So like, say it was for, um, okay, like say there's an exec at Amazon that you're meeting um, who covers adult animation, like you mm -hmm. would, and you have a sample of an adult, an animated adult show, and you are a fan of Big Mouth and you're a fan of the Amazon shows like Undone, you know, you would want to, like no, you you'd want to know what shows they have at Amazon, what yeah. your sample is like, and then be able to speak to just what you're passionate about. You know, I think generals, all meetings really are. If 
finding a way to talk about what you care about and and see if they care about the same things and mm -hmm. people really catch on to that passion um and and really feel it so um you know for prep before meetings i have like generals or or a showrunner meeting that you take them a little bit differently but mm -hmm. like like just the synthesis is knowing yourself knowing what you care about and what what a potential show or what out there also cares about and how that aligns with your beliefs. Oh, wow. Okay. So with the generals, have you ever had a cringe uh, TV general meeting or a job interview, but it turned out to be a successful meeting? <laughs> um, I, I'm thinking about, okay. I, what's funny is I'd say, it's hard to know sometimes the payoff like yeah. of, of a general like um i remember one time i had a meeting mm -hmm. um with the young woman and it's funny when you start to meet executives that you're like at first you might start like you're all the same age or they're older than you and then suddenly they're like 10 years younger than you and you know it's just or five a few years younger than you like yeah. right out of undergrad and you know, you get over your ego and everything, but it, it just, you have to like learn to relate, you know, part of it is communicating and relating to different people from different backgrounds. Um, mm -hmm. But I remember meeting a, a, an exec, a young exec who I think had just graduated college. And um, it's not that the meeting went bad. I think that it was just like, oh God, like pre-pandemic, generals getting like especially as a woman like who you just get your hair done you get your you know like all that excess stuff you have yeah to yeah look like for these first dates are just so much and then on top of that you just have to like be in the car figure out parking like know which like it's just it stresses you out and you're like i'm a sweater so it's like yeah I'm sweating. oh yeah you're, you know, you're sweating out your blowout or whatever. And right. like just those moments. And then you're like, you have an hour, you talk, you do the song and dance with each other. They talk about potential projects they have. You know, um, I remember one, one was like, we both, there was like a witch project. And I, you know, was talking about liking, I'm not getting, it's so long ago. I'm not <laughs> remembering all the specifics, but sure. it was fine. Um, but you know what, what was it, you know, I think that afterwards it, it was like early on when I was starting to take generals and you're just like, it was raining outside when I got out and you're just like, it was in the middle of Beverly Hills. And it's just like, after dealing with all that traffic, um, just being like, why, why did it, you know, it takes you so long to get ready and another hour to get there. And then you have to drive back in the middle of the afternoon, like, that's the life of a writer is sometimes going in these generals and not knowing the result because it's right. just a date. And you have to be like very open and vivacious and interesting, even though like you're just like you're you're thinking about that traffic, you're thinking about, you know, all of these different um, just, uh, you know, horrible things that had happened like the traffic and the the rain and the the messy blowout and all of that but it's like you have to put that all away 
to just concentrate on the moment and like, yeah, you got to be cool. Yeah. And you got to show up and, and, you know, be honest and authentic and tell a story. And sometimes, you know, that may, may maybe find a, a piece of yourself or an experience that you've had that is very vulnerable in this like one hour first date in this office. And then you go out and you kind of like put that away. And it's very much like, I think being a performer, it's like putting on that performer hat as an, as a writer, you have to have that too, because you have to access those emotions and feelings and let that, like, let that be genuine, you know? Yeah. Um, you are talking about like your upbringing a little bit, but you want to do it in a way that relates to potential projects that they may have, but especially right. in general, you may not know what potential projects they have. So that's why I say like doing your research beforehand and kind of knowing what they, they, what, what types of, um, their mandate, what types of stories they're telling, like will help you find that zone. So you know what stories in you exist to access that can relate to that. Cause you always want to tell story, like something that's in your life and what you care about, but have it be relevant to what they're making too. Right. Um, and there may be some open questions, just like, you know, if there's something that you're excited about, like what, what would you make? Cause it's like, we also have to remember that I think sometimes when you've been struggling so hard just for that access, you know, that entry level job, that's yeah. that big that foot when, in the door, that foot in the door. Once we get it, it's also like, remember to dream big too. Like when you have that success, what does, what does that look like to you? Like if you could, you know, um, do anything like in this business, what would it be? And then so that when you have that opportunity, you can talk about it too. Um, so I, I don't know, I always encourage people to like, what if, cause we're always like, uh, this shit happens and like I get fired and all these, the negative things were like, what right. would I do? But it's like, what would you do if things start going right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so what about like, like Dollface and, and First Wives Club? Were those, um, those jobs, were they obtained after generals or were they through um, people you knew or your agent? Like, was it just uh, you, you found out and about the job and, and you went for it? Like, how, how did those um, jobs come into your life? Yeah, well, one thing. I, I wrote a sample. Um, so after I did the Universal Writers Program, I was working on a spec feature. And uh -huh. I, you know, like I had this long idea. It's sort of like a superhero uh, parody uh, with the, but like with a mom as a superhero, like a, like a badass mom who's, you know, anyways, I won't get into this business. Yeah. But I was working on this spec for a long time and I um, I had this idea this like when I was in the middle of it and I was working on that with the, my manager at the time. And, um, you know, I think that it, I was a little bit floundering in the feeling of like, wow, I'm writing this, but I like need a job, you know, I need yeah. to do something. And even though I also wrote this other project on spec, I um, had this idea of writing a one hour dramedy. Mm -hmm. um, and that one hour dramedy was about my friends and um, 
Like it was actually, um, it was like very similar in tone before First Wives Club uh, and Dollface, but it was like about me and my friends navigating Los Angeles, an aspirational version of that, where we're all yeah. like have dream jobs and, you know, are successful and is about women trying to adult, but also failing at it. Uh -huh. And even though I wasn't like supposed to be writing that, I felt very driven to write that and put in a lot of women I know and um, experiences I had had into that. And after I wrote that one hour television dramedy um, as, as a sample, I actually passed it to a couple of friends who read it, mm -hmm. um, who I'd known in my UCLA days and they passed it along to a friend who was a, a, a friend of theirs who actually ended up being my agent. Oh, wow. And that's how I got signed. And then also that project, um, you know, was what set me up on, um, like, I think doing that, it, I don't like is kind of kismet aligned mm -hmm. with first wives club and with Dollface. So like they were both very much, um, flawed, f flawed, funny, loud, complicated women with like right. aspirational jobs. And, um, even though it wasn't the thing that I was supposed to be writing, but it's like what I was passionate about finishing. And I was so happy I did. It was just like the script that a lot of people responded to, including, um, you know, I think preparing me for first wives club and preparing me for Dollface. Um, and it's what landed me like through my reps is what landed me Dollface. And I was fortunate enough through the universal writers program, uh, it was a year long fellowship and each of us were paired with a mentor and my mentor through that program was Tracy Oliver. And oh, wow. First wife. So I, yeah. So I was very lucky, um, over, you know, I did the universal writers feature program 2016 to 17, uh -huh. you know, and it was the, the sample I wrote, it's called grown ass women. Nice <laughs> title. Thank you. And it's um something like that I that I developed after I've wrapped it. And um I think that, you know, she was just what you could hope for in a mentor. Yeah. Um, mentors like her mission is very much uplifting other women like her shows do, like Girls Trip right. does. And I think um something I learned in in you know, being like being paired with her as a mentor through that fellowship and afterwards is how to continue that with other women too. And to continue that, how I want to be as a writer too. And I think that's, you know, um, really cool. Like we hear all these negative stories in the business, like mm -hmm. monsters, like Scott Rudin. Right. <laughs> like Established monster. Yes. Established monsters. Uh-huh. You know, and it's funny because it's like, like those years, it's not that long ago, you know, I, in 2016 to 17, like Me Too hadn't even happened yet. And it's just like, there's before that and after that and time's up and everything. And it's literally like had, it was just so like, we were so, um, it's just like sort of before and after that. Like we all knew so much 
like women are being held down, but it's like we yeah. didn't talk about it openly and things like the Gina Davis Institute and their studies. I'm just always like, yeah, we've been living it <laughs> forever. <laughs> like we all have known and now we can talk about it. And wow, like, so it's like it's like it's like off red, like going to Canada or something like, like getting out of, uh, I forgot the, the town that they lived in in Massachusetts and she's, she's able to escape and, and live her life with, uh, with her man and her, her child, hopefully. Um, I guess that's what I, I hope for them in, in a handmade sale. I hope for them as well. I, I'd be honest. I, Handmaid's Tale. I I need one day. I'm gonna sit and just only it's watch. It's so one. hard to watch. <laughs> I've seen no. I've seen season one, and I loved it. And yeah, but I think like season two, I had to just. This may not be the show that I keep watching. And I know people. This is a confession because I've known people who write on it, and yeah, it's an amazing show. I just think like emotionally, like, and then everything went into the pen. I've just maybe not. Maybe not right now. Maybe. Yeah, it's a, it's a very tough watch. And then they were like in the colonies or something by the second season. And they're like digging um, the Rory from the Gilmore Girls. She was living in like the colonies because um, she was uh, like um, barren or, or I don't, I, whatever the expression is in, in the show. And so because of that, like if you if you can't if you can no longer have children, then you're, you're cast out. And it, and it's like, we're, we were deep in Trump's America. I, I, I also had a lot of trouble watching. I, I followed just from like Wikipedia and from articles. It, it's very hard for me to watch. <laughs> very hard for me to watch. Uh, I, I prefer like a doll face or like a first wife's club. Like I, I, I want to just veg out and, and have a laugh. I'm reading, um, I'm reading the real news, you know, I'm like, yeah, abreast, but I'm also like my escapism, maybe just pure escapism. I need like, yes. I need like rings, like a Lord of the Rings, like I need, Fantasy. I need the Witcher and, you know, Henry Cavill's hair locks. Like I need to oh. just, in. I know I'm like, I need that to like, then also get the medicine uh, in my, in my escapism, you know? I'm okay with the political angle, but it needs some like sci-fi covering it. Um, yeah, to get yeah. we've we've been through a lot, and uh, yeah, I get it totally. And we're we're still dealing with it, but um, but what's amazing is that you're consistently you've been working, which is incredible. And you know, you're you're a podcaster. Um, has there been like an interview with a screenwriter that had that's had a big impact on you as a as a as a screenwriter yourself? You know, I, I'd say um uh Alan, like interviewing Alan Ball was uh, such a um He's it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was just a dream come true, just like growing up on six feet under yeah, and like, especially that I, I like literally got teary eyed talking to him about, about yeah. those characters and that final it. episode. I, I, every time I watch it, every time I hear um, that Sia song, just tears. 
<laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, and some of the advice he gave me too, and just all the, what's nice is like in the podcast is getting that advice and being able to like, you know, that other people hear it too. It's, hopefully it's what, what was useful to me was useful to everyone, but just like hearing his experience writing on Sybil and sitcoms and how he really oh, yeah. made leap. Yeah. Him making that leap to, um, writing features in American beauty. Um, there's just something I think that some, a big lesson that comes to me over and over again, because, um, I think like being able, like right now I've been consistently working for the past year, couple years or so, but it's such a long journey and it doesn't happen overnight. And it's just sort of like that tip of the iceberg that you're like, you know, it's, in the in the making and and for some people we all bake at different temperatures like for some people yeah. it happens a lot faster but um something i've like noticed consistently in my life is like that feeling of getting agitated to um like if i'm in an a job i mean i something i i in 2000 before 2016 after before i did that feature writers program i had actually uh taken a break from the business i lived in China for a oh, year. Wow. I was teaching English and I, I'm a LA native and uh -huh. I had- um, in, in Shanghai? I lived in Shanghai, yeah. Oh, nice. I taught English and that sort of also helped me to get perspective about the business here. Like, did I wanna, I knew I, knew I always wanted to write, I wanted to write still, but I thought like, it's just so hard to break into and I needed some savings and, you know, needed new perspective being, yeah. being away my whole life, you know, you kind of get caught in the bubble. And I really recommend like a lot of people move here from other parts, but uh -huh. like, have that perspective. But I just think sometimes if we get too into the LA keeping up with each other or who's doing what it's like, get it's out exhausting. of it. It's exhausting. And I, I think, you know, getting out of it and getting some perspective. Travel is medicine. I really believe it. Mm -hmm. Or, or other way. If you can't travel right now, especially in the pandemic, like escaping into a book, finding some, finding some piece of joy that gives you perspective that isn't this business too. Mm -hmm. um, but what I want to talk about, like with the agitation, it's just like, you know, when I was. Um, I, I, like I said, I'd worked in tech before I'd work it as a pharmaceutical sales rep one year. Wow. 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 Like lots of weird random jobs, um, to survive. And I find like, and I'd be, I was a barista and waitress at this like fancy hotel once <laughs> with in, in LA, in LA, like in white LA. Lotus style. Uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yes. 1%. Uh huh. It will. It was like the manager was uh, was a a white South African man. Oh my God, a... Armand! <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. There, so there's very like this weird like upstairs downstairs vibe still, and I'm like, okay, uh, that's funny. I, I don't know. You're just like, I think not to like bash on. I think. A lot of a lot of writers, a lot of creatives. We all have to work in food and beverage, but sometimes the lifetimers are jerks. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I I just think um, 
now I don't know where I'm going with this. I just like wanted to like air out assholery and now uh now I'm just agitation. This. Um no, I think that that agitation that you feel in something that you're unhappy at, your day job, whatever, that's a sign to move on to something to like keep your eyes on the next step. And yeah. it's like for me after working in this hotel as like I had the 5 a.m. shift. Oh my God, it was Whoa. awful. <laughs> like waking up, like, but like keeping your eye on the prize and like being ready for the next thing. You know, if, I think you, you can be, you can say yes and be stuck in something unhappy, but like you, you have to like trust yourself to like make that leap when you're ready to the next thing. And for me, the next thing wasn't writing right away, but like um, I think during that time that I was doing these like, day jobs, I would be involved in like West Side Comedy Theater or UCB, you know, and things like that, that kept me, um, that kept me happy, you know? So I think that that can also be a way other than travel that just keeps you motivated to move yeah, to the yeah. next thing. Yeah, it's like you're flexing your muscle in a different way. Um, yeah. It's like, I don't know, learning a, I don't know, uh, pole dancing uh, instead of taking tap class or something. I don't know. Just like yeah. doing something totally different and unexpected. Yeah. It really, and, and everything that I've done, it's like nothing wasted. Mm -hmm. You know, like, oh, like you could write on White Lotus if you'd worked on something where you'd been in that, you know, you can't exactly, yeah. but you can, you can relate to a lot of those characters and like see how guests are treated differently than the people running in and classism and that you just like everything that your lived experience that feels like awful now like in your present mm -hmm. it really can be the fuel to what you write um, yeah yeah it's I, it's it's it becomes writing material yep okay and so um you're from san gabriel valley you've uh you've lived in shanghai you said um, you're from LA, um, San Gabriel Valley. Um, for those that don't know, it's like, um, it's like a major area near East LA. Um, we love Huntington Gardens in South Pass and South Pasadena. Is there a go-to spot that for you, like when you're back home, um, that you have to hit up when you're there? Yeah, I'd say, um, so I, I'm a boomerang. So I actually lives like the past few years I actually moved back closer to home so I'm not I'm kind oh. of I'm like near Highland Park so I'm not oh I'm that's about, a great area yeah so I, I live pretty close to my hometown which is a little bit weird I don't always recommend that like I think you need to get away enough um uh -huh. but I've seen enough ties that I, I feel like a new person anyways um but <laughs> uh, don't do that um no but I, I like going, you know, a stroll through Old Town Pasadena. Oh, it's it, great. Yeah, it makes you, it's like really um, makes you feel bougie, <laughs> I think. And it's kind of um, kept down any sort of um, fever of staying inside so much. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, the Huntington Gardens are lovely. The Japanese uh, garden and the Chinese garden there too. Oh, it's amazing. They've expanded too. Um, uh, there's currently um, Made in LA that was supposed to happen in 2020 that's happening now. Um, so there's some really great artwork. Um, and uh, yeah, and I, we love the Cactus Garden too. 
Oh, I love that. Um, yeah, I that was actually in in the good place when when she entered heaven. That was what they used um, as part of like the heaven scene. I don't know if you remember in the in the pilot, but like she's um, she's standing next to um, Kristen Bell standing next to Ted Danson. And it's like um, these like barrel cactuses, those like round cactuses. And I was like, oh, that's Huntington Gardens. Oh, that's cute. I'd have to get yeah. the pilot to see that. I I was thinking you were talking like sort of when they like can make that transition in that last season. You know, they're oh, kind of oh like, wow, wow, wow. Um, yeah. But I'll have to look I remember that episode to remember. Um, yeah, I think like uh, in Old Town, I'd recommend. So one uh, classic place that everyone goes to is 21 Choices, the frozen yogurt spot. It's Ooh. sort of have, um, you know, like sort of like Cold Stone, but they're not as they're not a big chain like that. There's only like a few of them in Southern California and they, they will have a line on a bit busy night, but you can mix in all kinds of ingredients. They always have one, like no added sugar daily choice of the day. It's a great frozen yogurt spot. Oh, and nice. There's like three boba spots in old town. Love boba. Love boba. There's a fancy new one called like, um, it has like a deer it's called the boba deer. guys no not boba guys um it's their their mascot is a deer i i'm gonna get i'm gonna look yeah this we up. we had boba guys the other day um and we had um it was like sticky mango sticky rice in a boba drink mm, i don't know if you go for like the crazy flavors or are you strictly like a black tea and boba person Okay, so I'm a I'm a I'm a regular ice, no sweet person. That's okay. That's my order of boba. Zero I sugar. I say no sweet, no sugar, or or I say like I sound like I'm <laughs> like a, uh, I sound like a Midwestern mom. Well, except for the boba ordering part. I don't know if they order. Uh-huh. <laughs> <But> <laughs> like, like, what's that? Yeah a stevia substitute (laughs) let me there's actually a place uh but you have to go to alhambra they'll do like totally stevia boba that that one i'll get oh wow Um, the 99 ranch store in alhambra oh 99 Um, ranch Uh, yeah my my uh friend she's a past guest uh yami mentioned uh ranch 99 that's one of her favorite stores yeah, it's it's so funny because depending what part you're from, like some people say Ranch 99 and other oh. people say 99 Ranch. Wow, I'm the 99 Ranch person, and I like She's from City Terrace. Okay, I mean now I know now I know City Terrace ain't weird. I think I think like a like a lot of like um, going down to Redondo, like on that side, say Ranch 99. But I'm not sure what the divide is. I think I need a it's so funny. <laughs> it's just like a big supermarket, and she buys a uh, fish so- uh, sauce there. What kind of sauce? Fish sauce. Oh yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Of course, yeah. Fish sauce. Yeah. Is delicious. Um, so, so where you're from, they say ninety nine. So Yami says ranch ninety nine, and then you got you say ninety nine ranch. Yes, and okay. I'm correct. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Josephine, 
it's 99 ranch but you could say so it's so it's not just tomato tomato let's call the whole thing off it's you know it is nine <laughs> like you read the sign there was a 99 and then the word ranch wow. you don't put ranch 99 i don't know what crazy backwards <laughs> pig wow. latin language is being tossed around wow but wow no, it's this this should be like a um yeah like a, when it's like duck season rabbit season like a, a uh, or like a, some some kind of TikTok where it's like you know one person saying it one way the other person saying another I had no idea about this wow because this is all I'm a West Sider so I didn't know about this like East Side um, you know ninety nine ninety nine controversy ninety nine ranch problems. <laughs> Yeah, 99 Ranch Problems. Oh, I, I like want to say the Jay-Z quote, but I ruined yeah, it. Yeah, I know, but it but ain't none. But like, I, I don't know how that would fit. One, that's right. Yes. <laughs> okay, so I, I love to. One. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. I, this is amazing. I didn't. I, I didn't know that. So I'm. I'm learning this because I am still new to LA. I'm from. I'm from New York. Um, I've been here for two years. I haven't been able to. I haven't gone to New York yet because of you know pandemic. But like. Um, but yeah. So I'm. I'm learning. I'm learning. Um, but I love in your most recent interview. Um, you interviewed um, the HBO Max uh, co-creators for Made for Love. And you mentioned doing oh, morning yeah. pages. And also you were talking earlier and I was thinking of like the book Big Magic, like when you're talking about your your pilot that like it just came to you as in as an idea about the friends and you just went with it. It's not something that you, you typically would do, but something told you to do it. So um, that reminded me of the, the Elizabeth Gilbert book, Big Love. Um, but then you've, you mentioned uh, right morning pages. So I was, I was curious, like if you did the artist's way, like if you uh, read the artist's way, um, you know, I love doing morning pages. It helps me to generate ideas, things that like I didn't even think about. Um, basically for those at home, it's like, it's something that like, um, it's three pages of longhand, um, stream of consciousness writing. It's done first thing in the morning. And, um, and then you, um, you don't look at it afterwards. So do you do that still? Um, and, and, and then I also love that, like, um, you're, you're saying that it was like, it's harder when you're not depressed to, to do, uh, journal writing, to do like morning pages. So like, can, can you tell us about like your process? Like your, your, how do you start your day basically? Well, <laughs> it's funny that you said that and thank you, um, so much for, you've done your research and I really appreciate <laughs> that. Um, I, I, uh, yeah, so like I started morning pages. Um, I won't get too much into it, but I had been let go from a job mm -hmm. and it, I had really taken it hard. You know, it, yeah. I was not in a like super great emotional place after it felt like a breakup. Um, and I, you know, I had had it sitting on my shelf and I had it, I like had intended to get around to it. And, you know, being let go really was the impetus and being depressed uh, after being let go really was the impetus to try to find something that, you know, I could find some structure around. And, um, you know, I read pages and 
I, I read the book and I had the journal that came with the book and I just started doing it. And um, at first, like between doing that and really finding meditation, um, I, I really like feel like I created my own like therapy that I went through. And, and I think like a big part of doing it, doing the morning pages as uh, well as like taking myself on, on artist dates once a week um, was like a really good practice that I put in for till I finished the full book and then, then went beyond that. Um, and it's a practice that I, I keep to this day. Like what's your must do, um, thing that's like a part of your current writing routine? Okay. So, um, currently I'm looking for to establish my new writing routine. Cause I feel like after just getting off a show, it can either, it kind of like messed up my rhythm, you know? Yeah. Um, but like when I was like, I actually had sometimes been on zoom groups, um, at before writing rooms or before, like after writers rooms where I would actually do 30 minute. Ooh, ooh I hit the mic. Okay. Yeah. I'm, um, I would start my morning sometimes at 8am in a 30 minute zoom group mm -hmm. where the cameras are off not talking to anybody, but I know other writers are on at the same time. And right. Is this morning cafecito that you're describing? Because I'm I'm in that group. Yes, I've done morning cafecito. I remember we're in the same group. So morning cafecito is one that I do. Uh -huh. And also, or just like, um, there's another one that another group put together too. And if not, it is a group is just like, if I'm in that rhythm, setting a timer, I got a visual timer and I'll put like yeah. 30 minutes on, you know, and that's something I, I am trying to pick back. So I've like lost it after, after like Dollface season two. So I'm like wanting to get back onto that. Yeah. But right did now, you I'm just like, finish, did you just finish uh, season two? I, I did just finish um, being a part of, of wrapping that room. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, um, so now I'm trying to start my own rhythm of, of like doing my own thing with it again onto the next thing. But um, I do usually keep a journal. Um, sometimes I do three pages, just like morning pages, or if on some off days, I will only do like a paragraph or two, but I try to like write out just nonsense to get it off my mind. And yeah. feel like um, I have that, those, that like the engine going. Yeah. And so you were saying that like, and, and not to get, um, I want to ask you about Dollface um, before we go into rapid fire questions, but um, I know that um, you were talking about morning pages and how it came to you at a time when you had uh, just lost a job and you were dealing with that. Um, and then you found, um, you found the artist way. It was just like collecting dust on your shelf. That's how I got into it. Cause I bought it. It was funny cause I put the date that I bought it at Strand Bookstore in New York and I bought it like, let's say it was like May 22nd, 2018 that I bought it and I put the date. And then I, I was talking to friends. One was um, just recovering from um, just, uh, she she was uh, just in recovery and um, she wanted to do something creative. And so we all thought together, like, 
let's do artist way we all had it on our shelves just kind of collecting dust it's one of those books that's like you buy and then it just it just kind of lives with you it kind of goes wherever you go and it was funny that like the date that I had bought it and I wrote it in my book, I had picked it back up around that same time, you know, in 2021, like, so it was like some, somewhere at the end of May that like, I was randomly talking to my friends and then we just randomly, you know, just started doing it. And so we're, we're almost, we're at week 11, but honestly, I haven't been reading it. I've just been doing the morning pages, mm. but, but you were saying that it was sort of like a therapy for you. Yeah, I think it, it def I liked reading it too, because it gave me a focus, like as I was doing it with each week. And I felt like there were like little guidelines that helped me like feel like I was writing towards something and building a skill. But I think also just getting the pages out works its own magic. Like it, you don't have to, but I think it's like, it helped me give it a structure like, oh, like kind of like that carrot. <laughs> that, that yeah that just gives you a little piece of satisfaction for doing it. You're like, Oh, I could do this now. Oh, that's like, you know? Um, so, uh, yeah, it was very therapeutic and, um, has become more of a habit now. And sometimes I like, will just like, it would start with a lot of like, you know, you're not editing yourself and you're going, you're, you're just sort of like letting it all, all get onto the page. And then when you get used to it, you do sometimes have times like you're waking up in the morning and you're just writing about something you want to write about characters or like, sometimes I use it even to like, think about what I'm going to talk about in a meeting, you know, yeah, or, or pitch. And it's like, it forces me to do that when I like, don't want to do it. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> I, um, I, I think it helps me get over my procrastination and um perfectionism you know that awful p word um yes that's that's my yeah i'm i'm, I'm fantastic at procrastinating <laughs> but you can't say that in a general meeting oh no no <laughs> and we like we all do it and i think there's reason behind doing it a little bit but i think sometimes like you do it to the point you're like why am I putting myself through so much pain? Like it's yeah. so unnecessary <laughs> like to, you know, and so I think the morning pages help you get over that hump. You're just like, just do it. It doesn't have to be good. No one's going to look at it. Yeah. Like, that's the beauty behind it that no one will look at it. Like, and you don't even have to look at it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So you just finished working on Dollface. Um, it's a super fun show. It's on Hulu. Um, surrealist, trippy comedy about a woman trying to reconnect with her friends after a breakup. Um, you know, I know you can't tell us what to expect in the next season, but you know, what's it like joining a group that's already sort of like in process, like a writer's group that's like, they've already had a season and then you, you come in. Yeah. Well, um, to start with your, the second part of the question, I think it's really, um, it's really fun to join a show that's already had a season because then mm. you have a whole bunch of scripts and a whole world and characters to already get to know and play with. And like, it's an opportunity to really know what those, what the creator and, and writers liked what and, and to know what kind, just like the different personality of those characters. There's a lot of like 
there's a lot out there to play with but it's also not like joining something and it's like 18th season we're just like oh my god i'd have to watch how am i gonna watch all this and like know all this like like the simpsons or something yeah the simpsons or the walking dead like where you'd have to know like the whole bible too i'm sure um so there's something kind of cool about joining in the second season because it's like there's a lot to know already that you can study and like get to know them but then there's also like a newness with season two where you're really just trying you're you know you're really trying to you have this world established but take it in a whole new direction and there's still a freshness about both um yeah. so i think that's it it was fun and exciting to be a part of um season two for both shows um and if there was like a highlight moment it's it's just always fun to like pitch something write something and you and you see it get in you know and yeah you shape the you see it shape the episode um and like not you know i think and and having that back and forth where it's like somebody riffs off your idea too and riffs you know and you build upon each other um i think that being a part of both shows, they're both like very uh, female driven shows. And it, it was wonderful to like work with such on um, both shows, just like funny, smart, like complex, like intelligent and um, just just like bold women on both sides. Yeah. So I was really I think being a part of that in both rooms um, was just so exciting and so fun and like, like to have each other's backs and to uplift each other. I think yeah. it's really rewarding. That's amazing. Um, for second season of First Wives Club, is there was there a moment that like you pitched and we we can see now? Like, well, it was really fun to like go off and um, you know like and and especially like writing for Michelle Buteau's like jokes, sometimes getting some jokes in there. Like I, I love Brie. <laughs> Brie's one of my favorites. <laughs> Brie is so funny. And you hear like some your jokes land. I mean, it's it's collaborative. So like you have to really put your ego aside too. Uh -huh. It's fun to get stuff in there, of course, but it's also like, wow, we really worked as a team and you see you see like how how everybody put in their work and it all collectively came together. Okay, so let's play a game real quick. Game. 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 Yay. Yay. So um, this game is um, just rapid fire questions. Um, so I'll start cooking or baking. Neither. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> no, yesterday I baked, I baked a chocolate cake. So there wow. Yeah. That's, that's baking. I that's guess. Not baking. Uh, yeah. Like I'll bake some, um, sweet potato. I just like cut, cut up vegetables but yeah i mean that's 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 science there's yeah. stuff to making chocolate cake anyway um next one is uh what's the best thing that happened to you this month um this month other than this interview other than this interview which of course is what i was gonna say um no i i think like wrapping on doll face you know and and that it shot 
it, my, my episode was shot and, and wrapped and, um, you know, I, I'm just so excited like about that experience because it just happened so recently. And, but I don't know, I think that was, I'm so this pandemic, I'm like the dates, I think that might've been more July, like cusp of July, August. Uh -huh. um, but I, I mean, for this month, I think, um, you know, going out on some new projects, get, getting excited about that, gearing up. That's for awesome. So that's been exciting too. That's great. Um, what's heavily played on your music playlist right now? Oh, I'm a Doja Cat fan. Nice. I, I um, you know, Street, it's been a hot minute. I know she came out with a new album. Oh, and also um, Japanese Breakfast. Oh, did you read um, uh, H-Mart? I'm in the middle of reading it right now. It's, it's really good. I liked it. It's so, yeah, it's very moving. I'm, I'm, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, the, I'm really like, I, I like her album and music and really what her writing as well. So yeah, me too. Yeah. It, it, it's, and she does the, the narration for audible too. Um, it, it's yeah. I also really liked it too. Did you happen to read Minor Feelings? Um, I'm so I'm I I got to the part where she's talking about Richard Pryor. So okay. like I'm reading like three books. I like don't I yeah, I kind of like read like four books at a time. <laughs> oh yeah. Me me too. I'm reading um an Ellen Sandler book and then also um The Other Black Girl. It's a that's another um that's a like kind of a thriller. It's almost like uh, Devil Wears, Wears Prada and Single White Female, but like in the book publishing world, it's really good. But yeah, I, I'm I'm same, same. That's fun. Is that kind of it's a thriller, but is it sort of like a rom com too? Uh, well, yeah, Devil Wears Prada. No, it's it's really like um, there there's a, a black woman. She works in, um, and we'll go back to the game. But she um, she works in a book publishing company. She's the only black uh, woman. And somehow there's a new black woman that that comes in. And then she somehow like becomes the like the darling, like the office darling. And like um, and, and then she starts getting like these creepy notes on her desk that says like, like, leave the company. <laughs> And so she's like, she's getting fucked with. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, there's this other woman that she's trying not to see as competition, but she is sort of like competition. Um, it's, it's really good, but it's like, it's, it's like, it's like, uh, it's more in like the get out kind of like if, if Anne Hathaway's character um, was, was Daniel Kaluuya, and she goes into the situation at Vogue and you're just like, get out of there. Um, <laughs> not like, you know, loving her outfits and stuff. But like, um, I don't, I, it's not a very good explanation. But like, it, it's a thriller because like you you feel like this woman is being terrorized and and she's just, um, it's all like in her head. And she's she doesn't want to say it because if she says it, then it becomes real. Then she's starting to accuse people. So like, um, where I'm at right now, it's like it's all just sort of happening internally. And and um, like she hasn't told her boyfriend yet that like someone's leaving weird notes. Um, 
anyway, I don't know. It's it's worth it's worth reading. It's really good. Um, that sounds as that is crying really in each mart. Yeah, as is crying in each mart. Um, that that's a really great book too. Um, who do you admire the most? I mean, I love my mom. <laughs> my mom's been through a lot. She's somebody I really admire. Uh, in terms of like writers, I really, and like creators, I, um, I mean, Amy Anniobi is an amazing, yes. you know, human as well as friend and writer and hilarious, like light in this world. Um, yes, yeah, such know, a giving person. Such a Incredible. giving person so encouraging, like is just somebody who is always like, dream big, dream bigger, like, you know, like, um, and I just really admire her, you know, I think and to have those, I feel like I name, I'm naming like real people that I know too. It's like, and that's wife. okay. Yeah. And, oh yeah, definitely. That, that's, that's how it should be. Probably. Yeah. It's not Kim Kardashian. It's not, you know, I don't know. Um, but I, I think like the people you Chet Hanks. No, no, he's yeah, he's the anti-vaxxer. Anyway, um, <laughs> um, I also like I I'm a big fan of Taika Waititi. I think me too. Uh, yeah, I just saw like um, Reservation Dogs. Oh, I have to see it. It's really good, and I just like I I love how he tells stories about children and young adults too in a way that feels like. It could be of any age, you know, yeah. of age at any age. Um, I think that's a big through line in a lot of his films and shows. Yeah, um, especially um, Hunt for the Wilder People and Jojo Rabbit. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. I, those are two, those are some yeah, those are those are amazing people. What's something you will not be doing in 10 years? In 10 years, I won't be working at a hotel, <laughs> you know, hotel management. Oh gosh, it's <laughs> like, not where I'm. And and like version, real life version of the White Lotus, not gonna happen. To yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you. Um, what's one of your weird quirks? Um, <laughs> I. I, I mean, like, I think after a meeting or general, I tend to um, lay and stare at my popcorn ceiling, just contemplating existence, uh, dread. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Do you start seeing shapes or something like the popcorns like come together and, and make make shapes for you? Like no, it hasn't. I'm mean, <laughs> picturing like a Stephen King like novel the way he said, or or it could be a happy. No, I don't see shit. I just like, I um maybe maybe just laying and procrastinating is a quirk of mine. After I, that's sort of how I decompress. Um, I I don't know. Like people say I'm a quirky person. I'm just I'm just me. You know. I don't yeah. Know what, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, me too. Me too. I, I, you know, just let let the freak fly. Yeah, it's just, all good. Just yeah, be yourself. You know. It's, yeah, that's like hey, yeah. Yeah, and I think so I can do a lot of funny voices, but I oh. don't do them all the time. That's also a like I think I could do voices, but I'm like 
just kind of becoming comfortable and probably the when I say I could do a bunch of phony voices it's probably just one and it's like a midwestern man <laughs> like from can my dad was from is from Kansas so it's like oh like, nice like horse shit you know just like saying like, I want to start working funny voices into my life but I think like if I start doing that now as like a personality thing people are like okay what happened to you <laughs> what meds are you off <laughs> oh my god in that that horse shit moment i was transported i was like it was yeah i was on a ranch i yeah it's a coen brothers movie yeah yeah <laughs> rolling hills and and clouds very uh, that was amazing thank you uh, yes um okay What's, did I ask you, what's something that you're tired of? And then I have one more. Oh my goodness. I mean, the pandemic. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm tired of this Delta variant and it just started. I'm I know. Delta. I'm tired of the variants. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Delta and Gamma and um, I was calling it Lambada, but um, Lambda. Um, yeah. yeah. All of them. They can, they can go kick rocks yeah yeah they could suck a d yes yes all of it all of it um if you could be any flavor ice cream what ice cream flavor would you be and why i would be cookie dough because then you would be an ice cream and cookie awesome two in one Mm -hmm. that's great those are that's also my favorite um uh van lewins makes a really good cookie dough ice cream Van Lewins. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, I think of something to tell you. Uh, yes. That I don't. That I said no to cooking or baking. Something. <laughs> I, because something my uh, my my partner, my husband, and I yes. say to each other is like we're like I don't cook, I don't clean, and then when you say that back to each other, it just is like well then who does it? <laughs> then we just. Like, <laughs> Nice. Hopefully, Hopefully. 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 to do it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. How can people find you? Oh, um, I am on Instagram. You can find me at Joseph. Oh wait, Joe Green Jane. So J O G R E N Z H A N G. Thank you so much. Oh, so we'll see you next week. I'm Yummy Coco. Keep your lamp light trimmed and burning. <laughs>